If you'd open your Bibles to Zephaniah chapter 1 tonight, we'll be looking at verses 7 to 13, Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 7 to 13, in this hard-hitting book of Zephaniah, in which Zephaniah is just really starting out, God's going to judge. That's the message that he begins the book with. Beginning at verse 7, be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near, for the Lord has prepared a sacrifice He has consecrated his guest, then it will come about on the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes, the king's sons, and all who clothe themselves with foreign garments. And I will punish, I want you to notice the repetition of I will punish. He says it in verse 8, says it again in verse 9. I will punish on that day all who leap on the temple threshold, who fill the house of their Lord with violence and deceit. On that day, declares the Lord, There will be the sound of a cry from the fish gate, a wall from the second quarter, and a loud crash from the hills. Wail, O inhabitants of mortar, for all the people of Canaan will be silenced. All who weigh out silver will be cut off. It will come about at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and here we go again, and I will punish the men who are stagnant in spirit, who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good or evil. Moreover, their wealth will become plunder and their houses desolate. Yes, they will build houses, but not inhabit them and plant vineyards, but not drink their wine. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your inspired scriptures and your people who've come out to partake of them tonight. We pray that you would minister to us in light of this text that you've inspired. And we will thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in this book of Zephaniah, what no one can deny is that it predicts in multiple passages that there is going to come a specific day of judgment that's going to hit the whole world. In fact, the phrase, the day of the Lord or the day of Lord's sacrifice is referred to multiple times, 20 times in the book. Now, if you have your exposition notes with you, I'm going to have you bracket some things as we go through this at the beginning of this. First of all, he calls it the day of the Lord. And in every one of those references, 1.7 and 1.14, he's referring to a negative judgment. He also calls it the day of the Lord's sacrifice in chapter 1, verse 8. That's a negative judgment. But he also calls it that time. I want you to put a bracket around 3.19 and 3.20 because in 1.12, it's a negative judgment, but in 3.19 and 3.20, it's a positive blessing for the remnant of people that's right with God. Fourthly, he calls it that day. Put brackets around 3.11 and 3.16 because it's a negative judgment at 1.15, but when you get to 3.11 and 3.16, he's talking about the fact that that day will also bring blessings to that remnant of people that's right with him. Fifthly, he calls it a day. In all of those verses, it's a negative judgment. Sixthly, he calls it a day of the Lord's wrath. That's a negative judgment in 118. He calls it the day in chapter 2, verse 2, and that's a negative judgment. He calls it the day of God's anger or the Lord's anger in chapter 2, verse 2, and chapter 2, verse 3. And then finally, he calls it the time. Put a bracket around that one because that's positive. Now, you only have 53 verses in the book of Zephaniah, and in 20 of those verses, you have a specific reference to there's coming a day when things are going to get real serious. There's coming a day in which God is going to judge, and it's a serious warning that he not only gives to Israel, he gives it to the whole world. 
And obviously, the vast majority of references to the day are negative. It's referring to a negative judgment that God's going to pour out on the whole world and on the people. Yes, it's a positive thing for that remnant of people that purposes to be right with the Lord, but it's negative for most everybody living in the world in Israel and also all over the nation. Now, what Zephaniah specifically reveals is that God is going to intervene in the world of politics. You'll see it in this text. He's going to intervene in the world of religion. He's going to intervene in the world of sin, and he's going to pour out his wrath on a God-mocking, Bible-rejecting, Christ-demeaning world. He's going to target and destroy those people and those powers that are not interested in him and his word, and he's going to destroy them. So the promise that God is making is I'm actually going to intervene in the national world. I'm going to intervene in Israel's world. I'm going to intervene in the individual world. I'm going to start tracking down people. And I'm going to track down individuals that are not interested in me or my word. And the only people who will have a blessing in all of this will be that remnant of people who love me and love my word. Now what we see when we come to this series of verses tonight is the prediction of the coming ferocious judgment of God should cause people to be silent before God and seek to be right with God. When you read through the book of Proverbs, many, many different references, and also the book of Ecclesiastes, it becomes pretty clear that one of the real marks of wisdom is you shut your mouth. In fact, Habakkuk 2.20 says, let all the earth be silent before the Lord. As we pointed out when we read the text tonight, there are three references in this particular context where God says, I'm going to punish people. I'm going to punish them. I'm going to track them down and I'm going to punish them. And people should just be silent about that. They should just think seriously and soberly about that. When it comes to the subject of prophecy, when it comes to the subject of God's judgment, the command of God is not, let's debate eschatology. Or let's get into discussions about what you think it ought to be. The discussion that's given to us from the Lord, the command of the Lord is, be silent. The thought that we should face God, the thought that God can judge anyone should prompt that. The counsel of Zephaniah is stop talking and start thinking about judgment. I mean, when you really begin to think this through, I'm going to actually face God. God is going to track me down. I'm going to face a Bema seat judgment of Jesus Christ as a believer to have my life analyzed. Man, oh man, I better stop talking here and start thinking about that. That's serious stuff. And when God says to the world, I'm going to judge, I'm going to punish, it's time for the world to say, you know what? Maybe we better quiet down and listen to this and take a serious look at this because this is a critical point to grasp. The coming judgment of God should be something that silences people. We're going to give an account of ourselves to the Lord. And when this judgment comes, which is a wrath judgment against paganism, it's going to be rampant, and false religion's going to be rampant, and people are going to be doing that which is godless and immoral, and it'll be coming from the highest offices in the land, the government officials, the religious officials. They won't be promoting what's right. They won't be interested in what's true to the word of God, and people who are living in the cities, there'll be people that are involved in evil, immoral things. They're not right with the Lord, and God says, I'm coming after them. I'm coming after them, and you better quiet down and think seriously about that. The truth of the matter is, there will be no fear of God. 
There'll be no reverence of God or his word. Religious people will have stagnant spirits and they'll have corrupt hearts. And the command from Zephaniah is be silent before Adonai Jehovah. Be silent before the Lord God. As one commentator said, hush your mouth and stand in awe of God. Lay a hand on your lips and think over the fact I'm going to face God. And the silence that's demanded here, he says in verse 7, is before the Adonai, the Lord and Master over all, and before Jehovah, the self-existing sovereign covenant God of the nation Israel, be silent before him. Stand in reverential awe of what God is about to do in judgment. I'm telling you, the moment your name is called to face the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll have your mouth shut and so will I. We'll be down on our face on the ground just like John was, like a dead man. When God is about to judge us, it demands silence. It doesn't demand debate. It doesn't demand discussion. It doesn't demand criticism. It demands silence. And I frankly think people spend way too much time talking and fretting. They're running their mouths about the world and about what's going on in the world and just be quiet before the Lord. Understand he is a sovereign God. And when it comes to the subject of God pouring out his judgment, people like to just talk. They love to postulate their ignorance and their arrogance. They pop off their religious theories in all of their pomp as if they have something to say that's worth listening to. God must get a good laugh at a bunch of people that he has to listen to who make mockery of him and his word. But let's be real honest here. When it comes to the judgment of God, who are we to discuss anything? For example, death is a penalty for sin. We've all received the death penalty. And if we're not raptured, every single one of us will have our moment when we're going to leave our body, we're going to go home to be with the Lord. Can any of us explain, anybody here explain tonight, why people die, when they die, or how they die? Are any of us in a position to explain the circumstances of any person who ends up dying? Now, what's better for us to do? Just pop off our mouth and come up with theories or just be quiet and let God be God? When it comes to any judgment of God, we don't want to be criticizing God. We don't want to be questioning the Lord. We don't want to be demeaning the Lord. We need to really shut our mouths. The truth is there's nothing anyone can say that's going to change anything anyway. You know, there's that great scene in the tribulation in Revelation chapter 8 when God is about to begin those trumpet judgments. They're a little more than halfway through the tribulation when that occurs. It's coming up on the halfway point of the tribulation when that occurs. And just before those trumpet judgments are poured out, it says there was silence in heaven about a half hour. So even heaven recognizes the solemnity to judgment. I mean, even heaven recognizes when the judgment of God comes, it's time to quiet down. Now, we may notice that Zephaniah says, be silent before the Lord, and then he uses that conjunction for in verse 7. Be silent before the Lord for, which is going to give us a couple of reasons for the silence, and there are two reasons. And the first reason is because the judgment is near. He says, verse 7, be silent before the Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. Now, for Judah and Jerusalem... That was logistically and historically absolutely true and near. If we date Zephaniah at 625 B.C., the judgment that would completely wipe out the people 
and wipe out Jerusalem was 38 years from the moment Zephaniah made the statement. The first wave of judgment came 20 years after 605 B.C., and the last wave came in 586 B.C. So if we literally take the time frame of this, when Zephaniah says, quiet down, be silent before the Lord, for the day of the Lord is near, the total destruction of that whole area was just 38 years away. Now here's what's interesting. When the Lord Jesus Christ was here on earth, he predicted... To his own disciples, there'll not be one stone left unturned here in Jerusalem. You've made mockery of me. You've made mockery of my word, so the judgment is coming, and there'll not be one stone left on these buildings standing. And in AD 70, Titus and the Roman military moved in, and Titus and the Roman military literally leveled the city. Jesus made the prediction in AD 32 to 33. So again, 37 or 38 years later, after he made the prediction, the judgment is near, it literally was fulfilled. So what we conclude from this is that when predictions are made about God going to judge, the partial fulfillment of those predictions may be very close in proximity. Now it's very rare when God makes a judgment prediction and then instantly carries it out. It does happen. It happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. In Sodom and Gomorrah, he basically said, get Lot and his family out of there because I'm going to rain fire and brimstone on this city. I'm going to destroy it. That was a very unusual instant judgment. Usually, there's some gap of time between the warning and the execution of the judgment. For example, before God sent the flood, Noah built the ark. He was a preacher of righteousness for 120 years. So what we would say in light of this is when you see political or religious leaders making mockery of God. And when you see religious leaders that don't care about the word of God, you just keep silent. And you watch. And you wait. And see what God will do. Give it time. Because as Zephaniah says, the judgment will come. Now the second reason why he says, be silent, is because this judgment is a prepared sacrifice by God. Verse 7, for the Lord has prepared a sacrifice, he's consecrated his guest. You know, judgment, and people don't understand this about God, but judgment is serious, sacred business. And most people don't realize this. The judgment of God is not firing a bunch of random bullets at a crowd. The judgment of God is carefully planned, it's carefully executed, it is executed from the throne of heaven. It's a very sacred thing when God decides this is time for judgment. Now when some read this and say, well, it's a prepared sacrifice, they think, oh, that's so nice that God has prepared a sacrifice. What they don't realize is what God is basically saying here is I have prepared this God-mocking world for slaughter. So the sacrifice that God has prepared is a sacrifice in which he's going to destroy God-mockers. He's going to destroy all those who are against him and his son and his people. And the text says he's consecrated this. That's what he says in verse 7. He's consecrated his guests. It may mean that he set apart those that he's going to slaughter as a consecrated sacrifice. He actually has put a bullseye target on the people he's going to go after and he's going to destroy. And it also may mean I've set apart those agents that I'm going to use to help carry out the slaughter. 
And if ever you want to see an illustration of the greatest sacrifice that was ever prepared in Jerusalem, it's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God the Father prepared a sacrifice like no other. A sacrifice that's able to save the worst of sinners. A sacrifice that will give us a judicial standing with the Lord in which we're declared righteous by God. He has prepared that sacrifice, and it's the only sacrifice that will cause one to escape judgment. And what we learn here is that God carries out his plan in executing judgment. He marks off those who are going to be judged, and he marks them off, and he targets them. And you know, when you realize the sacredness of judgment, you begin to think in terms of judgment in a whole different way. In the book of Revelation, when the tribulation begins, there's this great scene that takes place at the throne of God in which the Lamb goes up and he gets the seven-sealed book of judgment. It's a special moment. And we're singing the Don Wurston song, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. We'll be there to witness this. Because we'll be raptured before the tribulation hits. And we'll be standing there at the throne of God witnessing this go down. What a sacred moment that's going to be. I'll tell you what the world better do when it sees that or understands this is happening. It better be silent. Be silent. We don't have to be running our mouths all the time in this world. We can leave vengeance to God. He'll take care of it. He'll track people down. You just be quiet and watch. Now in verses 8 to 11, Zephaniah gives a judgment description of what some of the judgments are going to entail. He says, I'm going to punish people. And people think God is just way out there somewhere in a far country. He's never going to show up. He's never going to hold them accountable for anything. They just can live a free-for-all life, and they're just getting away with it unscathed. God said, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. And there are eight descriptions of the judgment that he pronounces here. First of all, he's going to punish the princes, verse 8. Then it will come about on the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I'll punish the princes. Let's just stop right there. Those are the leaders of government. These are people like the judges, the magistrates. These are the kinds of people that are political officers of the king's court. These were the kinds of people that were responsible for taking God and his word and truth away from the people. Same kind of people that take God and the Bible and prayer out of schools. The same kinds of people. These were high-ranking political leaders of a nation. What they did is they used their power to lead the nation away from what was right before the Lord. Israel was God's nation, and these political leaders that were these princes, they got into power, and instead of using their power to promote the things that were right before the Lord, they turned the people away from a commitment to God and his word. I'm telling you, when I read these Old Testament books, I would not want to be a president. I would not want to be a vice president. I would not want to be a senator or congressman. I would not want to be an attorney general. I would not want to be a governor or any political official that led people away from God's truth. Because these passages keep warning those leaders. God says, I have marked you, I have targeted you, and you have a payday coming. And many of our leaders are guilty of the same thing Israel's leaders were guilty of. They have no fear of God. 
They're not leading this country into a deeper level of a wisdom of God. They're leading it into deeper levels of depravity. We have leaders in the highest offices that promote things that God says are an abomination to his sight. And they just think we're getting away with this stuff. God says, mark this and mark it well. You keep silent. You wait and see what I'll do. Just keep silent and watch. Second description is, I'll go after the king's sons. That's what he says next in verse 8, and the king's sons. Now, the king's sons, these were the upper-class children of royalty. And you really have to admire Zephaniah here. I mean, Josiah is the king. And he's saying, I'm going to tell you what God's going to do to your sons. I mean, that's a real threat back then. Now, fortunately, Josiah was pretty interested in doing what was right before the Lord. But basically, Zephaniah says, I want you to understand God is going to specifically track down individuals. So we go from a big national judgment here. We're going right down to individuals. And he says, he's going to actually come after the king's sons. And man, did he. Jehoahatz was taken as a captive off to Egypt. Jehoiakim was defeated by Nebuchadnezzar and died in Jerusalem. Jehoiachin, Josiah's grandson, was taken captive to Babylon, and Zedekiah was blinded and taken captive to Babylon. Yep, that's just what God said he was going to do, and he sure did it. He tracked down the king's sons. The third description is he will punish those that are clothed with foreign garments. That's what we read in verse 8. And all who clothe themselves with foreign garments. You know, there were obviously these people, they wanted to look just like people in the world. They wanted to fit in with them. They didn't want to stand out as a person that was connected to the Lord. And what I would understand this to mean, the language would seem to suggest that they literally did put on clothing that made them look like they weren't Israeli. I mean, the Jewish usually people wore these robes, they had tassels on them, and apparently some of these, especially these leaders, they would put on foreign clothes so people wouldn't understand or see the fact that they were connected to the Jewish religion. And this idea of being clad in foreign clothes, they wanted to look like pagans. Man, we're there. We have people that are going to churches, and they don't care if they look like a strong, serious-minded stable doctrine, a stable believer at all, they want to look like everybody in the world. And at church, they're going to church. I mean, can you imagine that you would go into a sacred place of worship and take in their sandwiches and pop and coffee? I mean, we want to fit in. We want to fit in with everybody in the world. God says, I'm watching that stuff. I'm keeping records of that. And I'll punish that. The fourth description is God will punish those who demean the temple. Verse 9, and I'll punish on that day all who leap on the temple threshold. There are several possibilities what that means. It may mean that they thought so little of the temple place, they literally are jumping on it. I mean, literally just using it like a trampoline. It's also possible that they were in light of 1 Samuel 5, 5 at the threshold which was an idolatrous Philistine place, and they were following the pagan idolatrous religion of the Philistines, and they wouldn't step on the threshold or walk on the threshold. Rather, they would jump on the threshold. I'm not certain what's involved in this when it says, I'll punish those who leap on the temple threshold. I do know the common denominator of all of these interpretations, and that is they were going to the temple and they were treating it irreverently. 
God says, I see that. I see how the temple's treated. My place of worship, I see what people are doing to it. Now, I know this is not a popular thing that I'm saying here, because I get it. I do not believe for one second that it honors God to have a 70s rock band on a platform at church. I do not believe when you walk into a church and you see electric guitars and a drum set and you see cymbals and you have a band up there with guys that are in jeans with holes in their pants and they're wearing a t-shirt and they're jumping around and they're belching out songs like I used to hear in bars back in the 70s and they're standing up there calling that worship, that's demeaning the place of worship. And when God watches this, he's not pleased with that. I'm telling you, he's not pleased with that. And there will come a day when he says, I am going to judge, I am going to punish. His fifth judgment description is, I'll punish those who are violent. He says in verse 9, who fill the house of their Lord with violence, and deceit. Carefully observe that they are following the house of their Lord. They're not following the God of the Bible. They're following what the leadership is doing that they're under. And obviously what the leadership was doing is they were promoting violence as a means to get more if that's what it took. They didn't care how they got what they got. They didn't care if it were by legitimate means or God-honoring means. They were using violence to get what they wanted. And I don't think, ladies and gentlemen, we're far removed from that. There are leaders who have sanctioned violence. You know, when I read that, I couldn't help but think of a few years ago in an election when people were burning down things. They were looting stores. They were making mockery of the police. The police didn't even hardly dare to do anything. And some of these people who were in high positions of power, instead of coming out and condemning it and saying, get rid of these people, get them off the streets, use force if you need to use force, they just seemed to actually tolerate it, almost promote it as if it were just a part of life. And you look at that and you say, man, that's violent stuff that's occurring. And God said, I keep records of that. I keep records of who sanctions that. I keep records of who does that, and I'll punish it. The sixth description is, I'll punish those who are given to deceit. He says in verse 9, who fill the house of their Lord with violence and deceit. There have always been people who have made their fortunes by deceitful means. I mean, there's always been con artists. It still goes on today. God says, I see that. I see the corruption I see what people are doing. I keep the records of those people that are using deceitful tactics to try to get more. He said, I want you to know I've got the record on that day, and that day will come soon, they will pay. Which brings us to the seventh description. God will punish, and when he does, there will be loud crying. Verse 10, on that day declares the Lord, There will be the sound of a cry from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, and a loud crash from the hills. Wail, O inhabitants of mortar, for all the people of Canaan will be silenced. Five different noises he brings out will be heard when God does that. The first one, there will be crying at the fish gate. 
Now the fish gate was the place that was located on the northwest corner of the Temple Mount. It was the actual gate through which Nebuchadnezzar entered when he went into Jerusalem. I think that's fascinating. It was named Fishgate because this was located next to the marketplace for fish. It was also called the Damascus Gate. This is where people brought fish from the Sea of Galilee to do business. This was the gate where the fishermen brought their fish to market. God says, I'll tell you what, when my judgment comes, they'll be crying there. They won't be doing marketing business there. Secondly, he said, there will be a sound of wailing from the second quarter. That's what he says in verse 10. The second quarter was northwest part of the temple. It's where the rich people lived. And the people, the upper class people. You know what it's like. I mean, if you're going to live in a downtown penthouse, I mean, that's going to cost you a lot more than if you're living out in the suburbs, in the neighborhoods. I mean, if you're going to live right downtown where you're in Jerusalem and you're near that temple area, that's high dollar stuff. And what Zephaniah is saying is there'll be a sound of wailing coming from those people. And all their high class finery and their rich housing isn't going to stop the judgment of God. The third noise is there will be the sound of a loud crash in the hills. Now we're talking about the suburbial areas. He says also out there in the surrounding hill areas, the people out there probably think, oh, it's too bad for those people that are there in that temple region and they're down there and they're suffering so much. God said, no, I'm coming after you too. I've kept track of everyone in the surrounding area. I'll come get you. When God pours out his judgment, there will be wailing and crying and destructive crashes all over. There will be crying in the suburbs all over the country. And then, fourthly, there'll be wailing for the inhabitants of mortar. Maktesh, mortar. Now, the mortar was the marketplace or business area of Jerusalem. That's where the big business was done. And what God is basically saying here is those people who thought that they've had real security in their business and in their finances, they will discover, I'll come after them. I'll come after them in the city. I'll come after them as individuals. No matter where they are, no matter where they're hiding, they're going to be wailing. And then he says, there'll be no noise coming from the people of Canaan. At the end of verse 11, for all the people of Canaan will be silenced. All the people in the surrounding area who did business with these guys are going to look at this and they're going to go, what in the world has God done? Yeah, they'll shut their mouth all right because they're going to realize they're next. Which brings us to the eighth judgment description. God will search out everyone in Jerusalem, verses 12 to 13. When God decides to judge there's no place to hide. There's no place to escape. There are six facts he brings out. First of all, God's going to search the city with lamps. He starts that off in verse 12. It will come about at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps. The idea here is when judgment comes, there's no hiding, there's no escape. The point is, God is going to use his light to track down every person, every person that was connected to Jerusalem. Every person who is guilty is going to be discovered. Every person who is guilty is going to pay. God says, you're not going to get away. 
I'll track you all down. There'll be no place to hide. I'll search you out. I'll let my light shine on you. In fact, Josephus claims that when God permitted this to happen, they actually found dead people hiding in sewer areas. The principle is this, ladies and gentlemen. When the judgment of God hits, every individual is going to be tracked down and exposed by God. Now, what should that prompt every one of us to do? Be silent. Stop talking. Start thinking. Secondly, God will punish the men who are stagnant in spirit. That's what he says in verse 12. I'll punish the men who are stagnant in spirit. There have always been, there will always be people who are good at playing religion. They know how to play the game. They don't really have a heart that's right with the Lord. In fact, their heart's stagnant. But they're good at going through the religious motion. They're not dedicated to truth. They're not dedicated to making any changes in life. They're playing a game. And God said, I want you to know, I'm watching all the people that are stagnant in spirit. I'll come get them. The third fact is, God will punish men who say in their hearts, God does not do good or evil. Verse 12, he says, who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good or evil. Now notice where these people say it. They say it in their hearts. They don't say it out loud. See, God's looking into the hearts of people. I'll just get real practical here. If you continue in sin thinking that God's going to do nothing about it, you're a fool. If you think you can just continue to get away with some type of sin in your life and God will never do anything about it, He'll never do good or evil. He'll just let you go on. You're a fool. Because what God is doing is he is searching our hearts. And he sees what's in our hearts. And it is a very serious thing to suggest that God's never going to move and never going to act. God has a very introspective analysis of what's in a person's heart and he says, I can see what they say with their lips. I can hear that, but I can also look beyond that. I can look right into their hearts. And you know, Habakkuk almost got guilty of that when he said, God, you're not doing anything. You're just neutral. You're not doing good or bad to these people. And God said, oh, you have no idea what I'm doing. Shut your mouth. And Habakkuk finally came to the realization where he said, oh, my goodness, I've sinned against the Lord. He came to that realization about himself. But this is a very serious thing here to say in your heart, oh, God's just going to let me go on. I never have to change. I'll just be the way I am. I'm just me. God says, I'm watching your heart. It'll reach a point when I'll say, I will punish you. The fourth fact is he'll plunder their wealth. That's what he says in verse 13. Moreover, their wealth will become plunder. People thought that their real security was in their wealth. People believe that their financial nest egg is where their real security is found. Our security is never found in that. I don't care what your portfolio is. Your security is not in your portfolio. Your security is going to be in the Lord. And any time God wants to pull the plug in a portfolio, he certainly is in the position and has the power to be able to do it. Our security for our life is never found in our wealth. It's found in the Lord. Now, there's nothing wrong with wealth. But keep it in a proper perspective when it comes to your relationship with the Lord. Now the fifth fact is, God said, I'll destroy your houses. Verse 13, yes, they will build houses but not inhabit them. 
You know, when you see people come into your neighborhood and take over houses they didn't build and don't even own, and you keep hearing of these little stories taking place in various parts of the United States where people just go into somebody's house, they don't own the house, they don't have rights to the house, they don't have a mortgage on the house, they don't buy the house, they just move in and take it over. What you're looking at there are the beginning stages of the judgment of God. That literally did happen to Israel. Israel had spent lifetimes building their nice houses and their areas in the city and outside the city in the hills. And then all of a sudden, here comes the Babylonians. And the Babylonians in 586 B.C. go in there, take them all captive, they move into the house, and it's theirs. God literally did what he's predicting here. And he did it just 38 years after he predicted it. The sixth fact is God will not permit them to drink wine from their own vineyards. He says in verse 13, you'll plant your vineyards, you'll not drink wine. In other words, you'll have no stability. You'll not have my blessings. Now what God is basically saying is this. You need to understand, I am God. I'm analyzing what is happening in the minds and hearts of people. And I want you to understand something. I'm going to judge. That's what Zephaniah is telling Israel, the people of God, the nation of God. God's going to judge. How should that affect you? Shut your mouth. Close your mouth. Stop talking. Start thinking. Take an honest look at what's really in your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your precious inspired scriptures. Thank you for this passage of scripture. We realize that all scripture is inspired and it's profitable. We need this. We need to see passages like this, Lord. It brings us face to face with ourselves. We need to understand, Lord, that we are going to face you someday, and I pray that our lives would count. We thank you for the grace that's found in Jesus Christ. We thank you that when we believe on him, we never have to worry about facing the wrath of God, but we are going to face a bema seat judgment. And we pray, Lord, that as we contemplate that, we'll just quiet down as your people. We'll live our lives godly, with integrity. As you look at our hearts, may you be pleased with what you see. In Jesus' name, amen.